This is the Business of Apps podcast, bringing you actionable insights from the leaders of the global app industry and the world's fastest growing apps. You can find more app news, data and analysis over at businessofapps.com. Welcome to the Business of Apps podcast. On this show, we invite app industry professionals to cover various topics and we promise to do our best to keep it both insightful but brief. In this episode, we have Paul Netto, co-founder, chief marketing officer at Measure Protocol. Paul, welcome to the Business of Apps podcast. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be on here. This is cool. Thank you for coming. Um, all right. Let me set the stage first, as I always do on this show. Okay. Uh, if you work in a brick and mortar mall, you can see your customers in person daily. And even you have a chance to know some of them better than others. If you own a mobile app, you stare at your laptop screen and you better have a good consumer intelligence platform in hand to have a clue about what people use your app so you can serve them well. In this episode, we have Paul to talk about his company's App Life Report 2023 Volume 2 that talks about app users' behavior. But first, Paul, before anything else, let's talk about you and your background in tech. Tell us about yourself, please. Sure. So I've been in you know tech in different uh, aspects for about twenty five years now. So that's starting to show you know, show my age. But I've also you know ha- had an opportunity to experience a few different things. You know, ever since I graduated from uni, my first job was working for a software developer. Um, and, you know, a lot of my experience has been around research technology and uh, ad technology. Um, and, you know, I, I was fortunate in the early 2000s to be part of an um, uh, early stage research technology company. And, you know, part of the reason why they were tech based is there was no technology in this in this, uh, you know, this realm. You know, even things like SurveyMonkey didn't exist, uh, exist back then. Um, and, you know, prior to that, you know, first experience, you know, I was in tech that was involved uh, around processing, building software to process satellite imagery or using, you know, sonar for bathymetry, ocean mapping or scanning, you know, the ocean bottom looking for lost treasure, lost planes, or helping settle, you know, boundary disputes between countries. But that's a different world, different, you know, different time. But, you know, getting back to the the ad tech and research tech, um, we ended up being acquired by CompScore, the the measurement company, and this was their pre-IPO. So I had some, you know, great exposure and um, experiences into some of the early behavioral, uh, you know, data collection. They were really doing some groundbreaking stuff, you know, back then. And after going public, um, I went out on my own with uh, with co-founder, and we. Uh, founded a company called CrowdScience out of, um, you know, Silicon Valley. And we were working with, you know, publishers, uh, built some ad tech to help them build first party data and to monetize their audiences. So we ended up getting that acquired by another ad tech company called Yumi that uh, shortly after went uh, went public. And I spent, a, a you know, a fair bit of time um, justifying why mobile and connected television is, you know, the new medium for uh, for advertising. So we got to do some interesting stuff, even around, you know, attention and 
you know, in VR. And after that, you know, I ran a little bit of a stint at uh, Cantor here in Canada, uh, running digital and media. But then I got the startup bug again. And we, you know, that brings us to today where, you know, we've been running, you know, uh, measure protocol for just over four years now. Wow, it's pretty packed 25 years uh, from what I can see. And uh, we human beings do not live as long as we, we would like to, uh, you know, comparing to other species on this planet. But given the speed and agility of how things moving forward in tech, we have this uh, chance to see some some things, you know, in the very uh, in their inception. Uh, we both saw the internet before it was the internet. Like, um, uh, you know, remember the times when Google Maps did not exist. Uh, it was actually a separate company acquired by Google later. Many mm -hmm. things you consider today being part and parcel of Google used to be separate companies. Uh, just yeah. Now, not not many people remember those times, and it goes for every big company you can think of uh, right now. But um, let's talk about Measure Protocol. Uh, what sets you guys apart from the rest? Yeah, so we're a consumer intelligence, you know, data company, and we primarily work with brands and agencies, you know, helping them understand brand engagement using behavioral measurement. So the number of touch points that an individual has with brands is immensely different than it was a short number of years ago. So where we differ is we focus on behaviors across different touch points, different digital uh, touch points from the perspective of the, uh, of the individual. And, you know, many of the existing solutions, you know, they actually largely use surveys or, um, you know, metering technologies that, you know, today are just increasingly um, uh, not, you know, you know, not sustainable. So, and they tend to kind of lack a holistic approach. So it's a subtle, but it's very key difference. While much measurement, say, you know, even if you're using an SDK, you know, a little about a large number of apps or individuals. And our atomic unit is, at, is actually the individual. So for example, we don't care so much about downloads. We hear about these millions of downloads, which are impressive numbers. But the reality is the typical individual uses maybe 42 apps. So what happens to the all best. those, those mm -hmm. numbers? Um, so our clients think it's more interesting to understand or valuable to understand what App you, what app you use A versus B. So, you know, what else are you doing? And when you're increasing usage of some digital activity, what cost is that, you know, coming up? Or are you searching for purchases, you know, X versus Y? And all this really ties into competitive, you know, uh, intelligence. So you can see user level behaviors across things like app usage, search, uh, now, TikTok search, YouTube, Netflix, Amazon purchases, all those things. When you bring those together and expand from the user level versus, you know, the the top down, the, the insights you can get are game changing for them. And of course, we specialize on iOS data. Gotcha, Paul. Uh, yeah, touch points used to be simple. You were driving your car, you saw the Omega watch on the big board. And you wonder, wouldn't it be nice to update your watch, you know, uh, next week, 
that's it like one touch point probably tv commercial probably radio but you know you can you know count any uh the number of touch points you can count in your just one hand today it's your phone your smartphone your desktop computer your watch um you you know probably in the f- near future we will be able to put the uh you know vision pro from apple kind of yeah. uh, devices to the roast of these things when you're just one extra touch point and making sense of all this data and um yeah i i, I like uh i totally agree that the number of downloads it's a vanity metric people love to see this number goes up and up and up but this to be honest it's silly um at the end of the day we're talking about people using apps just like any other product if uh, we don't have any insight into how it's happening uh, what's working what's not working uh where we and this you know uh the um this equation of how satisfied people with your product we're not going anywhere let's talk about the report apply for report 2023 volume 2 it has more than 20 pages we have like 30 minutes uh if we're going to be covering the whole set of 20 pages it's going to take more than an hour for sure so we're going to be covering only five points and the link to the report will be in the description of this episode so you will have a chance to check it out in this in its entirety uh but let's take a bird view look on challenges of understanding consumer behaviors to begin with yeah there's you know and i think this applies to any kind of measurement and you know digital data collection um there's a few things to note here one is that Behaviors are more than ever, like you were saying, fragmented across platforms, devices, services, walled gardens. There's no such thing as uh, a single point of influence anymore. Uh, So the complexity has gone up. Um, And we're also, secondly, starting to see some of the tech giants um, starting to play and by different rules. So Apple's taking a very strong stance on privacy. Um, So iOS collection is very different than it was just a small number of months ago. Google's deprecating the cookie, which has driven a lot of the, you know, last 20 years of, of, of measurement. And, you know, just this move towards apps versus, um, you know, uh, desktop, you know, this, you, you know, we, we, you hear people talk about a mobile strategy or a mobile first strategy. Increasingly, you're starting to hear a mobile only strategy. Everything else is, is a byproduct. Um, the other thing we're seeing is legislation. Things like GDPR, CCPA, and now, you know, every state has some, you know, some, some flavor of it. It's really giving control to, users around their data that was you know often you know take it for you know for granted and plus you know at the very end we've spent industries have spent many years of say decades abusing the consumer and i think they're kind of fed up so the value proposition for uh you know data collection and engagement is very different than it was in the past. So, you know, a lot of our fundamentals of what we do and every decision we make is around, okay, how do we work with being very transparent 
around data collection, privacy, fair compensation, and the good experience. Now, this should be table stakes. In concept, it's very simple, but in implementation, it's very difficult, very, very difficult. Um, and that's what we strive to do. Yeah, yeah, um, totally on the same page. It is the difficult process, but uh, there's no other way around. We have to go through this period of, uh, especially with this uh, phase of uh, legislation finally kicking in. Every other major industry previously went through this period. Um, um, tobacco industry in 80s, chemical industries in 70s, and later uh, it was just the um, tech for a number of years, for a couple of decades, had this privilege been an exception, uh, partially because, you know, folks who are supposed to be uh, working in those legislations did not, and to this day, many of those folks do not understand tech as they should. And here's this gap, and people in Silicon Valley were gladly using that shortcoming of these folks. All right, uh, let's move on the first uh, point on my uh, list of five points from this report, which is this. Um, paraphrasing the famous saying, uh, you don't need to be data scientists to understand different generations, prefer different apps and platforms, but you need to be the one to put it in numbers and build a comprehensive picture with it. So let's talk about generations, generational, excuse me, differences in app preferences. Yeah, and what's particularly interesting around comparing by by generations is, you know, over time, you know, my my theory is we'll start seeing convergence across, you know, generations. But where we are today is if you think about, you know, some of the older generations like generation um X they've seen the most technological transformation than uh, any other generation in, you know, in history. So when you go to the other end, say, you know, Gen Z and, you know, and so forth, they are, you know, they've grown up with touchscreens and, you know, on-demand access to, you know, to stuff. So we, we, there's a generational divide, but my theory over time is, you know, that'll start to, you know, to narrow, but, you know, there's a few key things that we see around, you know, engagement is, you know, when, when you look at social, older generations, they still prefer Facebook. Um, now, it's slowly starting to change, you know, whereas the younger generations, it is the TikToks and Snaps of the world that they that they go to. Um, you know, we still see Generation X using email and phone, which are actually just apps on these smartphones. You know, right. the phone app is when you look at the ranking of apps, you know, it's really down low for the younger generations and it's relatively high for the uh, for their older ones. And you see, you know, Gen Z, they are using this communication, but it's more around messaging. And also younger generations are much quicker to jump on these news you know, shopping services like Timu and these, you know, these apps are really good at, you know, having uh, virality to, um, uh, you know, to build, you know, to build an audience. And it's really led by those, um, those younger audiences. And despite what you often hear, I think about younger audiences that they're distracted, they don't pay attention. I don't think that's it at all. 
I think that they're just much better at filtering out information that they want. And when they do engage, they engage very, very, you know, deeply. Whereas older generations, they get overwhelmed, they get overwhelmed by content. And, you know, you start seeing some of the differences around, you know, like TikTok and stuff. It's very apparent um, that how they process information is uh, is very different. Speaking of TikTok, um, let's talk about the TikTok's user's behavior. We know that uh, as of right now, TikTok has become one of the leading sources of uh, places for people consuming information, um, media content these days. Uh, it's on it's on par with YouTube and uh, Netflix, even Netflix. And I've seen recently this nice chart that shows that TikTok started with 15 seconds length of a video clip. And as of November this year, it went up up to 15 minutes. So it's the platform, the app is getting on the territory of YouTube because obviously you can see um, uh, short videos on YouTube for, for, let's say, PBS covering some scientific stuff. This mm -hmm. is... Uh, it's about a show of uh, episodes five, seven, ten minutes length in length. So TikTok is getting in that territory. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about the uh, user's behavior on TikTok from uh, what your report has to say. Yeah, look, and I think we're just in the early stages um, and maybe underappreciate some of the changes that are being driven by by TikTok. So, you know, for for example, the volume is immense. If you look at younger audiences, they're browsing about 5,400 videos a month. Uh, older audience, it's around, you know, 1,600. Now, regardless of the, um, you know, the length, that's a massive amount of, uh, of, of content. Secondly, actual engagement with the app is, you know, through the ceiling. So we see, you know, the heavier users are spending about 16 hours uh, a week. The closest is probably a YouTube. The heavier ones are about five, you know, five, six, six hours. That's actual usage where they are engaging with, uh, you know, with the app, which is just, you know, mind blowing. Um, and thirdly, we're starting to see things like it's becoming a destination for search. You know, when we look to, you know, some of the search analysis, things like how to's come to, you know, the top of the, you know, of the list. So this really starts to, impede on some of the, um, you know, the territory of not only Google, uh, Google search, but also into YouTube. You know, at one point we would think of search as being, yeah, you go to a browser, you go to Google and you, and you, and you search. Search is so many different levels now. There's so much in-app search that's happening that then kind of can go into all different places. So, um, I think we're just at the beginning of seeing some of the impact that TikTok is having across the board. Yeah, just uh, one small tidbit I'd like to put on top of this uh, TikTok cover uh, coverage, which is um, uh, I've heard this data point recently, which made me pause that TikTok be becomes the source of news for many folks. So we... We drifted from uh, original publication, let's say Washington Post, New York Times, you know, Fox News, etc., towards social media platforms. Used to be Facebook, 
of course, and it, it is Facebook for, uh, as you said, many folks from Gen X and I would say millennials, but Gen Z is moving towards TikTok as the source of news. Um, it really makes me pause, to be honest. Um, what kind of news people are getting there, given like every news publication has the editorial board, journalists, you know, um, many things you associate with the journalism, which should be of a high standard. TikTok, just like YouTube, media platform, it um, no moderation, it's just, you know, free-floating um, content flow. Um, yeah, it's really interesting. But uh, let's talk about the next point, which is consumer journeys, <laughs> not in life, but in media consumption. Yeah, so, you know, increasingly, we're starting to look at how people switch modes and um, engage with, you know, with different, uh, you know, services and apps and such. And, um, you know, so these little micro journeys that, you know, at times, and, you know, like you mentioned earlier, once upon a time, media was kind of simple. It was, it was very linear, right? So, and it was easily classified. There was two things that we cared about. We cared about linear television and primetime. That was the basis of, of media. Um, now, primetime is no longer a scheduling function. It's moved to the level of an individual. So my prime time may be 11 p.m. till midnight. So this is all very different. And everything is much more extreme where it's either bite-sized or extended periods of, you know, of engagement. So, and secondly, we're starting to see the intersection of these things. So you don't just watch, say, television anymore. You're usually checking something on IMDb or people are doing searching or something completely unrelated. And, and additionally, you know, we still hang on to this notion of um, TV, which is a generational thing. You know, um, younger generations, they think of content and access to content and devices are just a basis of accessing this uh this content so you know i come from a generation where things were classified how it was delivered you know delivered to you so when we start looking at you know time sequences we see a lot of jumping around and while we may see you know things like four percent like activities before a tiktok video maybe a, a search or a web page visit these numbers become you know meaningful when you start looking at that scale we also see this from, you know, TikTok or YouTube or to Amazon as well. You know, how people get there is no longer uh, a linear way. We see influences from, uh, you know, a lot from TikTok and then moving into the shop stuff now as well as, um, you know, YouTube and others. So I think we're really early in the days of understanding this and there's a lot of interesting um, developments happening in there. So. I think the key takeaway when we think of journeys is we can no longer think of it as a linear fashion and this concept of a funnel, it isn't so clear as it used to be, you know, used to be before. Yeah, absolutely. Prime time, uh, 10 a.m. in the morning on Saturday, 7 p.m. on Saturday night uh, to watch the show. Uh, it's a bit of a chicken and egg for me, whether we've got this situation where Prime time is not a single time anymore. It's a prime time for everybody. Like everybody ha have their own prime time, so to mm -hmm. speak. 
and it's because you you have your phone in your pocket and you can have your quote unquote prime time any anytime you want, and that you know lead to that shift where you don't have a single prime time anymore or the speed of our life the um, you know the agility of um, how things are moving in our daily lives moved us to the place where we're forced to you know catch the any moment we have when we don't have a luxury of just sitting in front of a screen at 7 p.m on saturday watch something in that moment you better grab your um, ipad and watch it somewhere on sunday or on, some, on any commute on the plane anywhere um so that's it's really different picture when you compared to what used to be a few years ago mm -hmm. we're supposed to be solving tv as you know famous story goes i have a feeling by the time we will solve quote-unquote tv it will not it will be just irrelevant uh, for people of that generation um gen z will may or actually we keep talking about gen z like the latest one but actually there is a, an extra generation which is younger i just don't remember the name because these names become more and more funnier as time goes by. But um, yeah, we may end up in a situation where the TV was kind of solved, but for whom exactly? Okay, let's move to the next point, um, which is this um, one way of looking at our life. It's about defining priorities. We're juggling too many things at the same time. Uh, and if you're not prioritized, stuff you do, you will never get to the bottom of your to-do list. Uh, so the next step is your section of the report that talks about priority engagement. What is this? Yeah, so the lens that we take on everything is, you know, how are people engaging? And then we're always looking for these different, uh, you know, signals. So we think of priority engagement as when you're doing something purposeful. So for example, when you first pick up your phone, what are you doing? What was your purpose on you know for that and you know if we take a moment to consider you know, things like smartphones as a tool to accomplish things throughout the day it becomes clear that when you're in a functional mode or if you're in entertainment mode by what you do when you first you know pick it up so um you know and we still call these things smartphones when the reality is the one thing that they're not very good at being are phones um, so, you know, at some point we'll have uh, a better, better name for it, but there's clearly still communication devices. Um, and so we look at what are some of the top apps that people use when they first pick up the phone. And, um, you know, we see often it's for communication for across for all the, you know, generations. So things like messaging, Snapchat, or even discord tend to be ranked relatively high of the reason why you pick up this uh, uh, device. And so it often ends up being communication or some kind of entertainment. And entertainment will be things like Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. All those tend to bubble to the top. So when you look at it at an individual level or across the group, you start seeing it classified as these. And the ones that are really at the top, you know, the younger generations will be the snaps of you know of the world. So this is how to help you classify or understand how people approach their this this device. And of course, this strongly correlates with the number of notifications that get through. 
you know, there's a lot more control these days around notifications. So what does get through is actually a strong indicator of how somebody uh, thinks of their of their device. And, you know, the, the younger you are that we see, um, it's all about the messaging side of stuff. It's all this bite-sized messaging that's coming through. Yeah, I've seen the the uh, graphics in the report that shows that the you know messages is one of the apps that gets the like the the biggest number of uh, incoming messages and you see these notifications. Um, and I think this is the moment when I feel that I'm old because my messages never has the notification sign that says some message was not read because I don't get that many. <laughs> And I managed to just walk just through the set of messages as they come. But I do know people who, like when, when we're on a call and I uh, can see their screen and I uh, occasionally check their messages in the bottom, you can see, gosh, the guy has three, four, 500 messages unread. What's what, what's going on in his life? How, how is it even possible? What are those people thinking about him? Or it's the same guy has sent him a 500 messages? It's yeah. just mind-boggling. I'm, I'm at the intersection where um, my messaging is is based off of groups of people. So I, you know, I use Facebook Messenger when I want to communicate with like my mom or something. But then I use Snapchat because my kids won't respond if I try anything, yeah. anything else. Uh, and then it's a splatter of you know, WhatsApp for people who are across the pond uh, and then messages for, you know, the, you know, daily. So it's uh, very purposeful. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's move to the final point, which is the top five trends that emerge in your report. Let's cover these. Yeah, I think there's a few things that really jumped out at us. One is TikTok is stronger than ever, and we're only seeing the uh, the beginning of this. And uh, secondly, you know, related to TikTok, you know, Gen Z um, is more than just entertainment. This is where they search, they communicate that, and and they share. It's increasingly becoming uh, a, a channel for that. Um, thirdly, you know, we're starting to reach, I believe, a saturation point for the amount of time that people can consume content. Though, you know, especially, you know, even across different, you know, apps and such, um, you know, there's a lot of evidence that there's simultaneous use of, you know, of services. And I think this is going to increasingly just keep, um, you know, keep doubling down. Um, and I also think that we're, uh, you know, this would be maybe the fourth point, um, starting to see more insights into the routines of individuals across touch points and I think the next era of measurement and understanding consumer behaviors is what people are doing across things versus individual uh, channels. We'll hear, you know, clients saying, oh, we've got tons of YouTube data. We know what's happening there. You know, this is where search is happening. We're like, well, what did they do on TikTok? Are they searching? Are they, what are they doing? And these are like blind spots that they have. So this, um, you know, cross touch point, cross channel becomes, um, uh, increasingly important. And finally, while some of the younger audiences don't have the same level of disposable income, they're quick to adopt these, you know, these mobile shopping and finance apps uh, at, you know, an alarming rate. 
Yeah, you you mentioned that uh, we're moving to the world where this uh, competition between the time people spend on content is increasing. It reminds me of this famous quote from the CEO of Netflix, Reed Hastings. Um, a few years ago, he said, uh, partially joking, partially not joking, that they only had three competitors slash enemies, YouTube, Facebook, and Sleep. So yeah, this is kind of a good analogy, good uh, meta picture of what's going on with this competition for our time, our free time we're willing to spend on watching content. Okay, we've covered the whole five points. And now I would like to ask a question that uh, um, I'd like to ask every guest on the show, uh, especially when you have like 20 plus uh, years under your belt, which is this, Looking at mobile ad tech today, what would you like to change about it the most? Yeah, and look, I was fortunate to, you know, some of my time in ad tech was during the wild west of it. Um, and I think, you know, my perspective here, I think it extends even beyond ad tech uh, for, for mobile. It's about digital advertising in general. And what I would love to see is this... Um, continued focus on creative. Most of ad technology, you know, whether mobile or not over the past 20 some years has been around the efficiency of delivery. And that's really the least interesting things of ad technology. And, you know, there's a debate whether we've seen any progress or not. Um, and good content and good experiences will always win. My theory, this is why TikTok wins. It's about good content. Yeah, so that's what yeah, I de definitely. I can see how it, ha how it happens. Okay, we've covered the topic on the table, kind of the serious part of the show is over. And the second one is a shorter, uh, quicker. Uh, this is my chance to build um, to paint a quick portrait of a guest who comes on the show for the benefit of folks who are listening to us so they know people are coming on the show a little bit better. Sure. Here we go. Uh, question number one, what smartphone do you use now? Uh, are you switcher or staying one side all the time? Uh, I have a, an iPhone 14 Pro Plus. Um, I made a switch from the BlackBerry Curve many years ago and I've stayed with uh, the iOS ecosystem. It just makes things easier than switching. Got you. Speaking of BlackBerry, before the multi-capacity screen uh, phone era, what was your phone which you could you know, put in your pocket, your first mobile phone? Uh, oh, this will show my age because it was a Motorola and it came with a purse to carry the battery with you. Nice, nice, yeah. These days, Motorola, um, you have to look up in the Wikipedia, what is Motorola, what is it was famous for? <laughs> uh, it's interesting. Uh, okay, um, back to present. Imagine you've left your home, and for whatever reason, you left your smartphone at home, you don't have it with you, and you're out. What is the most missing feature for you? Oh, hands down, it's the camera. You'll have to yeah. take the shots, right? 
yeah, yeah. I'm the I'm the one. I I don't know. I probably got fifteen thousand photos on my phone. I'm taking snapshots of things, screenshots, videos of a little bit of everything. Now I see why it's pro model. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um. But as great as this device is, um, if you if you think about it, like, what's the what's the feature? It could be or hardware, software, or both that for you, your iPhone 14 Pro is missing right now, um, which you would like to have to make it a better tool for you? Make it a better tool. Like, I, I think the, um, the technology piece that interests me even more, um, which may be a little bit odd, is um, around watches, which is an extension of, of your phone, really. Um, and I think this is, you know, the, the biggest problem or challenge we have with watch technology is we still think of it as a watch. Um, and I think today's, you know, so I have, you know, the, the iPhone watch, obviously. Um, but today's watch technology, I think, is just transition technology. It's an experimental playground. Um, you know, because once you start developing the, you know, habits around this other device that hangs off of you, you the times that you pull out your phone are very purposeful. Like, that's why I say a camera. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, you know, on the go, you're not typing away on emails. You may be, you know, talking into your watch to send a message or or something. So, you know, the, the the side of technology that I think is going to become really interesting is going to be the wearable watch, what we call a watch today. Um, and I think we're really just in the beginning, beginning of that stuff. Definitely. I think it brings us back to the generational thing, which is the Apple Watch came to market as the, you know, on the um, shoulders of giants, you know, regular watches before I have the Apple watch because it used to be, and for some folks it still is a device people were wearing under uh, rest. And, uh, but it not the case definitely for Gen Z. I yet to see some Gen Z folk walking on the street, wearing a watch. Uh, if not, if it's not an Apple watch. So having something on your wrist to tell you time, hmm, Maybe something that would be dying with with us with our generation. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, over time it would be not relevant for folks like uh, you know Gen Z and uh, younger. Yeah. We'll see. Time will tell for sure. Yeah. Before I let you go, very very final question: How can people get in touch with you and get more information about what you do? Sure. Um, always open. Just reach out to me at Paul at measureprotocol.com. Hit me up on LinkedIn or any of the other, uh, you know, channels or visit us at uh, www.measureprotocol.com and um, uh, happy to connect. Sweet. Paul, thank you so much for your time and uh, spending this 30 plus minutes with us on the show. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. And that was Paul Netta, co-founder, chief marketing officer at Measure Protocol. To listen to more episodes, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts. Just search for Business of Apps and you will find us easily. 
Remember, we release episodes on Mondays. So subscribe and you will be able to get new episodes on your smartphone, tablet or computer as soon as we release them. And please don't forget to leave us a review or comment on iTunes. It is highly appreciated. And all episodes will also be available on businessofapps.com. Thank you for listening. See you next week. Thank you for listening to the Business of Apps podcast. For more, head on over to businessofapps.com.